Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got another cool guest sitting on the other side of our Zoom today. It's a Friday afternoon. It's a, it's a little bit warm in the city. I'm kind of liking it for a November, November 4th, 3rd, 5th. What are you Today's the 4th, and it is, I think, 17 degrees outside in in Toronto, so I am loving this. Are I, you loving it? I are you, am. Are you, lo- are you loving your kids not being at school? Is that what you're loving? Well, I sent them to the playground with my sister so I think they're probably loving it and I showed up here in November in nothing but a t-shirt so don't get me started on why they're <laughs> home do not get I me know, started you I won't know. be able to turn me off okay let's not, not, let's, not, let's not do that let's let's <laughs> keep some positive vibes going on well hey everyone it's Amanda and it is Friday afternoon and we have Susan on the other side of our zoom who is a holistic nutritionist now let me get this right she's also an intuitive coach and a live blood analyst look at me I remembered all your titles no aren't you? i think you're missing one are you missing one uh, i don't think so i think there was three but she does so many things and i'm gonna let her tell you all of the things she does but i'll give you a short background we met susan recently at the canadian massage conference we invited her uh, to be a part of the massage therapy media lecture series so she did an mtm talk um, about the grumpy gallbladder and i've got a funny story about that which i'll tell you later it's, re- <laughs> it's anyway okay yeah go ahead so she did a talk there and uh yeah we just really just thought you were so fascinating. We have a mutual friend and this person has been, t- well, I mean, it's one of the other partners of Massage Therapy Media has been telling us right from the beginning, guys, I have somebody who is going to have such interesting content. You have to meet this woman. You have to meet this woman. And finally, in September, we got a chance to meet. And about, I don't know, maybe a week or so ago, Mark said to me, hey, we should get Susan on the podcast. And I was a little bit ashamed that I, I didn't think of it myself. I have difficulty saying your name. He has so much difficulty saying your name. It's so funny. It never comes out proper. I, and, I, and I don't have an excuse because I'm a grown up that knows how to speak. It's because we know more than one Susan. So when we're referring to you, we use your first and last name, right? Susan Stevens. Mark cannot not say. It always comes out as Susan. Susan. I love that. (laughs) That's going to be my new nickname. Susan. Yep. Or Stuzy. Yeah. Yeah. Susie. Susie was S-O-O-Z-I-E. That Suze. That's what everyone used to call me. So. Okay. Now you might be Stuzy. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pass it over to you, Susan White, or Susie, or Stuzy, whatever we're going to call you today. Um, Stuzan. Stuzan. Why don't you give all of our listeners a little bit of a history about you and uh, how you got into this fascinating work that you do? Okay. So, oh my goodness. So, so much thanks. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's such a pleasure to be sitting in your living space together today. So, um, yeah, I started off. I actually started in a totally different career. I think I went into music first and business commerce and was in one of those jobs, you know, where it was sucking the life out of you. I I always remember, you know, finishing the job and just being just miserable. And yeah, and I just decided from there on in that I was like going to follow my love affair, which was nutrition, uh, nutrition and that kind of sent me down a whole path of getting into holistic nutrition and then Chinese medicine, which is my juicy love affair. And, and then from there, you know, I started sitting with clients and being like, you sit with them and you tell them, you're like, okay, so you need to give up your coffee. And every client would give me the death stare. 
you know, because it's like no one wants to do it. It's and me. I had I'm every of, client. I get it. Are you every client? <laughs> I'm every client. Every, every naturopathic doctor or holistic nutritionist who has said to me, you know, you probably shouldn't be drinking coffee. I was like, well, we're done here. Okay. That's, that's enough. I've heard enough from you. I get it. Exactly. Exactly. And this is it. And sometimes, and, and for the longest time, I thought that's what people needed to do to make them healthy. And I started until I started to kind of go into that resistance. And that's what led me. I, I wanted to discover why that was so hard for people. What, what was that giving them that they needed, you know, like, you know, what, what comfort, you know, for so many people, it's like they're giving, giving, giving all day long. And the only reward they have is that coffee. So it's like you take away the coffee and they have nothing. Oh, I just felt that in my soul. You take away my coffee. I have nothing. Yeah. I, don't get it. I know Mark's not a coffee drinker. He's like, I don't know. I don't know I don't what you're talking about. Any of this I know. And, I, you know, for some people, it's cookies. For some people, it's it's um, ganja. And some people, it's Shiraz. So uh, that that is it. And so sometimes I would tell people some part of the healing would be like, okay, uh, they'd have shame around drinking their coffee. So I'd be like, okay, how many cups of coffee can you drink without shame? You know, that'd be my homework for them. Like how many honey curlers can you eat a day instead of how few can you eat? So that's what kind of got me started to go getting into the counseling side of things and, and also having a really fucking curvy life myself of, you know, anxiety, depression, and, you know, a lot of trauma as a kid, just like the suck it up generation. That was a whole lot of trauma for people and, you know, other things as well. So kind of on my journey, yeah, I kind of trying to heal myself. I, I, I went on a mission to heal myself and I ended up a counselor. So there are so many things to go through here, but I guess I'll yeah. start with the most basic. You said, you know, you started with, did you say music and business commerce? That's what I thought I heard. Did you say music? Music first. Are you a yes. musician? You wouldn't believe it, but yes, I'm a, I love the low brass. I'm a tubist. Interesting. Yes. So I played in the symphony for, for my whole life, actually for a very long time. And in university, I got in on a scholarship. And uh, I loved it. Why low brass? Why? I mean, you only got three valves. Why not a trumpet? I know. Why not? Well, a, I have actually. I had five valves. My tuba was more than a car. It was Ooh. like fifteen grand. Whoa. Wow! Fancy, dancy. So why? Why low brass? Um, that's a heavy fucking thing to carry around. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I used to have a knapsack, and you'd just see like two little feet <laughs> and just a huge <laughs> instrument. But low brass for me, it's like. Anything like double basses, it just hmm. resonates in my soul. Like it's, it just gives me those shivers through and through. So I don't know. I, I love like a, even like quintet work and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. And I don't know. It always, I still love it to this day. Cellos, double bass, all of those instruments. Brass players, they fascinate me a little bit. Because I find that you're, I haven't met a brass player that's like, I'm I'm jazz, I'm symphony, mm -hmm. but I'm also marching band. I've never met a player that was like, that that enjoyed being involved in all three. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. When I first pictured you, I was I don't know why I pictured you in a marching band. I, <laughs> I don't know yeah. why I did that. And I'm like, that's a fucking heavy thing to just kind of like march around with. Symphony. <laughs> right? Oh my god. 
Well, I, I first started in the symphony and I did symphony work and then I did um, jazz. I did jazz, but I would play the trombone four part down an octave. Right. And then, but I did marching band, I think for one year and it almost killed me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that didn't last for long. Musicians but, in uh, general fascinate me. Mark and I have had this discussion so many times because I mean, I love music. I don't know many people who don't. I do actually know, you know, I've met someone who has told me they don't like music, period. And I find that very bizarre to even comprehend because I feel like humans just naturally. Innately, you you gravitate toward rhythms and beats and so on and so forth. So I love music, but I don't love music the same way that Mark loves music, right? He's a musician. I don't love music the same way you, Susan. Like when you just said that the reason you prefer uh, low brass is like you feel it in your soul. Our mutual friend, we just traveled together recently and I had one of my playlists playing and there was a song that came on that I really love and she said oh can you change this and I said why you don't like this song and she said I only prefer to listen to music in a major key and as a non-musician I was like I don't even know what that means like I don't know how to play music for you <laughs> but it's fascinating to me for Is people that person who are on a, on a quest to be happy constantly maybe <laughs> yes that oh my god that sounds miserable <laughs> exactly <laughs> I'm like all about the negativity in my life <laughs> so yeah it's, it's fascinating to me when I meet like musicians because I know that you you consume music differently than I do I don't like hearing musicians talk to non-musicians about music i find it Uh it's very like i was watching joe rogan and he had he had rick rubin on and rick rubin is going off onto music in a way that like you know if you're into music you'd be like yeah okay i want to know this next and then joe rogan because he doesn't know music he's like like me he wouldn't know what to say (laughs) it, it, it ends up being a really boring conversation for someone who's really into music and it could have been such like a fucking good conversation it's really frustrating for me to hear that yes yeah yeah i think so do you feel like it's that way because it it comes it's just because it's the conversation could be so much better or is it because of one it's like almost like there's a pretension or something with the musician to the non-musician no i feel the conversation just could be so much better yeah like when you have when you have someone like rick rubin there who 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 speaks really well he's a good talker and so he's he can rhyme off these stories really really well and a lot of the stuff to it there's there's a lot of technical stuff that that's there both from a production side and a musician side and it just gets missed completely i'm like oh yeah that'd be like me interviewing a musician shouldn't do it i should not do it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i don't know i like this song because i like this song like i have i have no rhyme yeah. or reason i just like this song to be honest with you there are probably some really hardcore body workers that feel like that about our podcast it's like you've got whitney lowe sitting in front of you and you're talking to him about farts like do you know what i mean like, <laughs> So we're not for everyone. So I'm probably, I get I'm, it. I'm, probably, I'm probably doing that to people. What I hate. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> anyway, never thought of it like that before. <laughs> so you went from music to business somehow, and then you were miserable because you you don't strike. I mean, I've I've met you once in person, really, but you definitely don't strike me as you know the corporate. I'm gonna put on my business casual suit and my high heels and go sit at an, behind a desk in a big fancy office. That does not seem to be the type of person you are. So I can understand you wanting to get out of it. But what I want to know is why nutrition? You said, I went to my passion, nutrition. Was this always a passion? Like what made you be interested in food and what people are putting into their bodies? Yeah, I think uh, I think that started more when I was a teenager. I had I came from a family that was obsessed with exercise mm. and 
just health, but more so exercise. And so I started and my, we I'd say we, we were tortured with exercise. Uh, from just, what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, our, like even at, in grade nine, I was running like 30 K races. So we were, and my dad, you know, even when we were kids, he would take us on like eight hour ski trips, you know, cross country ski trips right. from dusk till dawn. And, you know, I love them. Cause I was like, super, com- I was like, competitive i just had a natural competitive drive but my brother there's four of us and he'd be like a kilometer back and be like he's like i hate dad you know like Mm. when is this gonna end and um but it kind of started this i just started loving sports skiing downhill skiing you know uh running does your brother love to be active still now he does now he does i mean i was a tennis family too I think for a while he didn't like some of the trips because he didn't have a choice. Right. Mm-hmm. And now, now he's an insane tennis player and he's amazing. Um, so now he loves it. Our, our family love it. We do a lot of kayaking. We do everything. But it sent me on a journey. Like I started running cross country in Vars, like where I was really obsessed with like refueling my body and figuring out how to, mm-hmm. how to achieve optimum health and how to, and it also started because my cross country coaches at I think grade eleven or twelve, I gained thirty pounds. I went from like I didn't get my period till I was maybe grade eleven or twelve because I ran so much. Yeah, that makes sense. And and so I was like ninety five pounds, and then I went to one hundred and thirty pounds in a year. Mm. And all my coaches were like, "You got to lose weight. You got to lose weight." And so it's that is what's kind of kick started my nutrition journey. It was like a positive and a negative. A negative because I became, uh, I became uh, shameful, like about or worried about my image all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it started off like that, but it also was a positive because it was like I just became obsessed in in a great way. Like just loved reading it, learning about it, um, figuring out. Just I loved understanding how the body works. You know, I do get that. I uh, there was one clinic that I worked at way back when I first became a therapist, and there was a holistic nutritionist there at the clinic, and so I went to see her one time. And during that period, I was really obsessed with um, just health and wellness and exercise, and it was just during that one period of my life. And I remember her giving me all of these recipes that I was like so excited to try. And it was all like really good, like high, highly nutritious foods. And I bring them home and I'm showing Mark all these things that I'm going to make. You know, I'm like, oh, look at this, the spicy Moroccan chicken. This sounds really good. And these sweet potato (laughs) patties. And I'm like, oh my goodness, look, I can make like chocolate pudding out of avocados. He just looked at me and he's like, I want no part of any of this. I was so excited. I'm like, look at all these things. He's like, no. You don't like the chocolate avocado pudding? What? <laughs> he, well, he doesn't like avocados to begin with, but he was like, no. He goes, if I want chocolate pudding, I'm just going to eat chocolate pudding. Get that shit away from me. <laughs> but I could see how that could, you could get really like, really obsessed with food in a good way. Cause this wasn't like, I wasn't like, Oh my goodness, you know, I'm never going to eat pizza again or whatever. But it was just like, I'm so excited to see all the possibilities. And like, I, I was really enjoying that. So that somehow became a career for you, but was there ever a part of you like leaving 
the business world deciding to pursue your passion with nutrition and with Chinese medicine, were you were you thinking of this as like a huge career move? Was this did it start out more of a hobby? Like how how does this happen? So this is a bit of a crazy story. So how it all happened. So I think I was around 28 years old when this went down. I at the time I was working that job. I was working in a printing company, which I ran a branch, like a printing branch. And it, it, I mean, I loved having a team of people. It was amazing, but I wasn't passionate about printing. That's for sure. It wasn't, you know, laminate and color copies wasn't my thing. (laughs) And, uh, and I, but I was also going through an alcohol addiction. So I was at like probably 14 years. Like I started drinking when I was say 14 and I could, I loved it from the minute I tried it, but I could never control it. Mm. And so probably 28 was at like the apex of my drinking addiction. And I think how it all went down was like, I, I ended up like partying all night. I didn't go into work a month end where you're supposed to submit all your numbers. And then which is like a no-no, an absolute no-no. And the next day, I was I was felt so guilty. I felt so ashamed of myself that I like couldn't go in the next day either. And so it just changed the, my whole life. It the next day, like I think the I I wasn't answering phone calls. Like everybody was calling me. The police showed up at my house oh, because wow. they were looking for me. Everyone was looking for me. My parents, my this, my and. Uh, they were like, everyone's looking for you. And it was the best thing that really ever happened to me because from that point on, um, I had an ultimatum with my family that said, drinking or your family choose. And I just, I was never going to choose drinking over my family. And so then my whole life changed from that point on. It was, I took like eight months off. I, I like became a fucking bike career in Toronto. And I would just jump on my bike every day and, you know, be free. And I just put all my time into figuring out what I really wanted to do. And that was, that was nutrition. And so, yeah, that's how it all kind of started where, um, yeah, I just started to follow my path. I think I was so miserable. I was drinking more and more because I wasn't in alignment. And, and also I had no idea why, why I was a drinker. Because mm-hmm. I was so out of touch with myself. I had no clue why I was doing what I was doing. I want to ask you something, and I and I don't want to sound insensitive, and I don't know if this sure. is like one of those things you're never supposed to ask somebody. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know those rules. I don't know those rules. <laughs> so I'm just going to ask it anyway. Cool. Sure, if you sure. don't want to answer anything, just don't answer it. Cool. Yeah. What What part of this is more thrilling if thrilling is even the right word i don't just substitute whatever word works for you there mm-hmm. is it when you're 14 and you're first tasting alcohol and you saying like i liked it right off the bat or yeah. when you're 25 and you're in it and you got money to spend and blah 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 <laughs> and i'm curious like where do those two completely different stages fit against each other hmm, i don't even know if i would Say like, what is more thrilling? I yeah, think thrill, maybe not the. I don't. I don't know what the word. To use I mean, for. like, I think when you're first starting drinking, it's new, mm. and you feel like you're being bad. And for me, I had a very, um, 
authoritarian father. Right. And uh, that was, there was no, I felt like there was no me in my family. Like there was a part of me, but I really, I was a pleaser and there was no room to be anything but behaving and doing as you're told. Hmm. And when I, at 14, it was like, I just, you know, I just started rebelling. And so, and my favorite song was like, Rage Against the Machine, like, fuck you, I'm not, I won't do what you tell me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so drinking was new and fresh and, and I hadn't started experiencing the negative consequence of it. Right. So that's the difference. At 25, I had money. I mean, I bartended a lot. I made tons of money. I never worried about money. It wasn't a money thing. I always had money. Um, actually always was a worker in my life. So I did never, it, but it came with a lot of guilt and shame. It was like, I'd have joy with a lot more shame. Cause I had probably had over 300 blackouts in my life, mm-hmm. you know? So it was a mixed bag yeah, yeah, yeah. when I was older. So you couldn't stop. Cause I mean, that is what an addiction is, but you did yeah. know that there was shame surrounding it. And I'm sure that you weren't honest with everybody in your life the extent that you were drinking or did people know like when before you hit that point at 28 did people know like Susan is drinking way too much did anybody ever have a conversation with you or did you hide it really well oh no I'm I I wish I could hit it oh my god I was shitty at hiding it but I know from the time I was 16 my parents knew there was a bit of a problem Mm -hmm. because I would drink too much but I always was like I'm like the other kids they kind of thought I was like the other kids but it it kept continuing where I think, have you ever heard that there's an expression, uh, you can never get enough of what you don't really need. You can never get enough of what you don't really need. I haven't ever heard that, but yeah. And it's, that's how I felt with drinking. It's like, there was a bit of a hole in my heart that I had no idea what it was. And when I would drink, I just, it would be like zero to 20 Mm -hmm. because it wasn't filling. It wasn't giving me that, um, that fulfillment in the way that I needed. And, you know, uh, so it was always, I would always drink to like excessive amounts, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was definitely like people knew it was a problem. And I did because I'd wake up and I wouldn't know where my car was. I wouldn't know where my wallet was. I would wake up beside people, you know, it was, yeah. So it, it was always an issue, but it was one of those things that just killed me because I just never, it was like I was successful at everything else in my life. And this was the one thing that I could not kick. And until you had to. And that and to. that started your whole path yeah. to where you are now. Uh, we had somebody else on the podcast a couple of years ago who had a story of alcoholism. And I mean, now she's a yoga instructor, she's, you know, health and wellness practitioner. This is this is also her um her journey now as well and you know I think she had said that yeah I mean you're not going to say like oh you know those were the that was a great time in my life when I was an alcoholic but it was also like that was a necessary part of getting to where I am right yeah oh it was fun I mean you don't do it because it sucks (laughs) I mean you have to enjoy it to some degree like it's really it's fun it's social I'm a wild person I have like this I have a desire in my life to be wild in some moments I think the problem is, is I wouldn't give myself permission to do that when I wasn't w- wasted. Right. 
And I remember my first coach that I ever went to, like I would constantly, I would get drunk and sleep with people. And so my first homework assignment was you need to be sober and go sleep with somebody. Interesting. Because I would make it wrong to be sexual with somebody, especially if I wasn't sure that I saw them as a future potential partner. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I would make that wrong, even being slutty, I would think of it as like, that's slutty. Mm -hmm. And I needed to embrace my inner slut a little bit and not get wasted to do it. It makes sense. I'd like at first, I was like, "Hmm, what your homework was to go sleep with somebody (laughs) sober. But I mean, it does make sense. Because when you're doing things when you're drinking, there's always the question of like, would I have done that sober? Did I just do that because I was drinking? Like what? Because you always think of being drunk as making bad choices. But at the same time, you also think of when you're drinking, that's when you have no inhibitions in the way that like you will be very truthful. So maybe some of the decisions you're making are also decisions you would have made sober, but maybe we're too afraid or ashamed to do something like that. Right. So it makes sense. So interesting. So then you became a bike courier in Toronto, figured out you wanted to get into nutrition. Now you had mentioned at the beginning also Chinese medicine. So talk to us about your training in both of these areas. Like where in your life were you? What did you do? Did you drop everything and go to school? Yeah. Yeah. So Chinese medicine started because I was I was doing live blood in my practice and I was doing nutrition and it was great, but I was I felt like I wasn't getting the success that I wanted with all my clients. Like some people, I find holistic nutrition, like when we came out of school, it's you learn all these different diets. There's the raw food diet. You know, I became almost a raw foodie for a bit, which was kind of crazy and paleo diet. And, you know, then there's like vegetarian. And so there's all these different ones. And the school, it it doesn't always train you to figure out which diet is for what person, Mm. you know, like there's different diets. So I, I came out and I was obsessed with raw food. I started working for a raw food company. I was like, raw, raw, raw all the way you know, constantly <laughs> preaching raw. Rah, rah, I would rah. eat raw, raw, raw. And I would eat like, I would eat chicken. I wasn't a vegetarian, but it worked for a while. And then after maybe two years, I started getting freezing cold. I was freezing all the time. I was gaining weight around my abdomen. I was, um, I was moody. I was getting bloated. I would have like striations on my fingernails, like, you know, malabsorption uh, issues. And so I had this herbalist look at my tongue and I stuck out my tongue and he's I'm like, this is what's going on. And he looked at my tongue and he goes, no fruit, no raw, no dairy, no nuts. And it was every single thing I had been doing. And yeah, so I went on like cooked food, soups, stir fries, everything. It literally within two weeks, my whole self changed. It was so fast. And that's how I got into Chinese medicine. So I started just uh, going to school, studying with different teachers, Uh, a student of Paul Pitchford. He wrote one of the best books on Chinese medicine called Healing with Whole Foods. So I took like a course with him and then and then went into uh, a school in California that I'm in right now called East West School of Planetary Herbology. It's with like renowned herbalists, Michael Tierra and Leslie Tierra and it it just changed my whole life because it's Chinese medicine really focuses on like, there is no one diet fits all. If you go to somebody, a practitioner and they ever sell you, 
there's like, you need like the paleo diet and they're giving it to all the clients or vegetarian. It's like run for the hills because everybody is so different. And it means they're kind of just selling you what's worked for them. And I see that very much in Chinese medicine. You really have to figure out, okay, what is this person good with raw food? Are they good with cooked? Are they good with vegetarian, paleo? Are they good with sour and spicy or are they good with sweet and salty? So it's very specific. You you have to kind of, you have to know and you have to figure someone's constitution out. I definitely believe that, that there's like, I mean, not just believe it. I, I That to me is fact that not one thing works for everybody. And you know that any anybody that works in health and wellness works with people and bodies, you know that not one thing is going to fit everybody. One size doesn't fit all when it comes to this. And diets, I definitely believe, even just from like anecdotal evidence and experiences in my own life where, you know, there's some people who, you know, those people who have like, like the rock stomachs, like they can eat anything and nothing ever <laughs> upsets them. And it seems like they can digest everything perfectly fine. I've always been somebody that knows like I should be probably seeing somebody like you, Stuzy, because I'm the person that will go out to dinner with friends and then I'm like, I got to go home. Like, you know, I get bloated after meals sometimes. And there was a period of my life, as I said, I was seeing a nutritionist and a naturopathic doctor and there was a lot of foods they said to me like, mm, this doesn't work for you. This doesn't work for you. This doesn't work for you. And I did feel better when I was taking their recommendations. And I can ex I can assume that you have this, this issue, I guess, with your clients that there's the people who are just so resistant to making changes because it does seem unfair. Like I can watch Mark eat like a Big Mac if he wanted to and like go about his day. If I eat a Big Mac, I'm like, in the moment, I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, why did I do that? Totally. It just seems unfair when like, you know, yeah. somebody has to take like if you know somebody's constitution is saying raw foods are best for them but raw food is not interesting to them like how do you get over those hurdles with people you sort of started to talk about it at the beginning with like yeah. not looking at how few cruelers can you eat but how many so yeah talk to yeah, me about yeah. that with patients who just don't want to change the way that they're consuming yeah this is it this is and and this is this is what i found in my practice that people focus on nutrition but it's 10% of the equation emotions is has tripled to not 10 times the uh impact in the body like emotions you know because emotions get stuck in the body even trauma it stays in the body from the time you're a little kid so it stays in your body for like 40 years and it's it's ridiculous like you would not believe you know you could eat a cookie but when you've had hatred when you have shame in your body when you have anger not not receiving that is that's there permanently and so you know for example i get a lot of girls that will come in they want to lose weight but they the reason they want to lose weight is like because to have a beach body <laughs> they've got a beach body yeah <laughs> they love themselves <laughs> yeah and and i think that's the thing they like it's like it's you always have to check the intention that your actions are coming from. That's the biggest thing. Because if you're trying to lose weight or change from anger or fear or shame or any of it, it will never create health. Like I get client, I used to have a client go to me for nutrition for a year trying to lose weight. And I just, 
and she wouldn't want to do the counseling. And I remember saying, sweetheart, like when you don't, when you don't lose weight, what does that bring up for you? And she'd be like, she just started bawling. And it went back to when she was a kid and she was like bullied as a kid. So I assume this is where the intuitive coaching comes in to your practice. You do so many things. Yeah. And that's, this is it. Like we're starving. Like we think it's like women want to lose weight, but they're starving for acceptance. That's the joke is the, the truth is they want somebody to just say to them, Oh my goodness. I love your succulent self. Like, I love you no matter what. I love you. Like, it's like, it'd be like if your partner said you just down two cheeseburgers. He's like, baby, like, fucking come here and get me. Like, you know, <laughs> bring your cheeseburger stuff over here. Like, let's get it on. I mean, like with full love, with, with no trying to change yourself. It's like, yeah, like don't change a thing. And that's the problem is people's people try to lose weight. And even like, it's like you being like, oh, this isn't fair. Why does he get to do this and I don't get to do this? And I'd be like, okay, what was unfair for you as a child? Mm -hmm. What was unfair for you as a child and unjust? And then that is what we need to work on and dive deep into. So you would be really, you'd be really proud of Mark then with that whole cheeseburger story. So (laughs) over the last couple of years, um, I've... I've not really been working out as much. And I'm assuming my nutrition has probably suffered too. Like, you know, it, there's been a lot of stress. And like, I recognized that more than a year ago that I was kind of not taking care of myself as much anymore. I used to, you know, I used to exercise a lot more. I was more, um, more into like planning with meals and things. And anyway, the point is on October 26th, so not that long ago, I turned to him and I said, my birthday's coming up very soon. Uh, so my birthday is at the beginning of February. And I said, I'm telling you right now, I would like to get back to my what I assume is like my normal size, my normal weight that I was before I just like stopped caring. And not because I want a beach body, I don't care, but I just I don't feel like me anymore. It's this weird feeling of like, I don't even know whose body this is right now. So I said to him, I want to lose 20 pounds by my birthday. And he looks over at me and he goes, okay, I mean, if that's what you want, he's like, lose 20, gain 20, do whatever the hell you want, as long as as you feel good. I was like, oh, okay. So maybe, (laughs) maybe he's going to help me lose weight then because he said, I don't care, do whatever you want. We're gain 20. 20. (laughs) (laughs) So look, you helped, you helped. Yeah, no, but you know what? That is a beautiful thing to give to somebody. Yeah, and uh, so since I've said that to him, I have been just a little more intentional with trying to do things that, that feel better, like just trying to feel like, like myself again, you know, like I'm going to the gym, but I'm not going in with like this very rigid, like this is what I have to do today. And like, it's not like that. I'm going to the gym and exercising because I feel like it. I feel like sweating right now and just moving a little bit. And it's, yeah, I think it's probably more successful than the attempts when I was maybe in my twenties or thirties saying like, I want to get skinny before summertime. Yes. Yes. Like that's a hell yes. You know, because it's like, it's also like a future goal. It's like, we always have our happiness. We put our, here's where we are. And then we have this goal in the future. Like once I achieve this goal, this is going to make me so flipping happy. But Mm -hmm. in the moment you're not there. So it just creates a dissonance from where you are and where you want to be. And you have to live into that lack every single day. Yep. 
And that's the problem is because, and then because in the moment, everything is a now thing. And in the moment you're starving for the reason to try to lose it is there's either there's, there's like a pain coming up in the body that's starving to be either for acceptance, to be seen for love. But it's like, oh, we're like, I'm not going to give you love now. I'm only going to give you love once you lose that 20 pounds. And then what does that, that doesn't make you want to eat salad. And stir fry, because when you feel unloved, it makes you want to go for the wrong things Mm -hmm. too. So it's this like cyclical pattern. So it's like, I always, I think that's the biggest thing is I've really learned in my own self. It's like with any, with addiction, it's like addiction is not, it's like, it's not even the issue. It's the, it's getting to the unmet need in the moment. And that's the key. So are you wondering what I'm wondering, Mark? Are you wondering <laughs> where this this intuitive coaching, like how, is this something, like we've, we've talked to a lot of other people on different episodes, people who say, you know, they feel things, they feel energy. I mean, as soon as we got on here, you're like, which one of you has this intense head and neck energy? And I was like, I don't know. I don't even know what that means. What are you asking me? I always ask, well, both of us always ask, like, is this something you've always felt that you you can feel things differently, that you pick up on people's energy? And how and when did you decide to use this as part of your your practice in helping people? Yeah, so I think I was probably always sensitive. And I think that's why I had issues with addiction in the sense of hype being a hypersensitive kid. But I didn't know I was a hypersensitive kid. So it was, I think I just had so much energy in the body and I didn't, my parents would never, I wasn't even allowed to be emotional as a kid. Like, you know, you know, the whole, like, how was it for you guys with being emotional? Like I know with my parents, my dad, when he talked about emotions, it made him sick to his stomach. And it was like, if I was having a tantrum, he'd be like, go for a run or go to your room. Or there was never like, if you were emotional which is really energy in the body. There was never like, sweetheart, it's okay to be not okay. What's going on for you? Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't grow up with, with that kind of parent of like, we were we were non-emotional. I don't. I don't know. What about you, Mark? What do you think? I already know the answer, but she asked you. <laughs> Mark, are you getting queasy? Are you getting queasy just having this conversation? No, but I didn't come from this. But I'm 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 more than okay with this, right? Yeah, we were not an overly emotional family. I always have this like one memory actually of um, we were away with other like I think it was my dad's brother and his wife and their kids. And so like my aunt and uncle, my cousins, and we had both families rented a cottage together. And my dad and his brother, like they always like to like play pranks on each other. And so one and I was probably like, anywhere between like six and nine. I don't exactly remember, but I wasn't, I wasn't very, uh, probably not even nine, maybe between six and eight. I was, I was a little kid. And I remember my uncle like playing this prank on my dad and locking him in this like little cubby space under the cottage. Like he, um, he got my dad to go in to get something and then he locked the door. I don't know how long my dad was locked in there. It was probably what, like six minutes, if anything. But to like a little kid, I remember feeling like it was so long. It was so long. And I remember starting to get worried, like 
why are you leaving him in there? Right. And everyone's laughing and it's funny because they locked him in. So finally, my dad comes out. And of course, he just goes over and like probably like punches his brother in the arm. And, you know, they're laughing and it's fine. But the rest of that day, me as this eight year old kid, I felt really like overprotective of my dad. So I was like following him around and like trying to hold his hand. to the. And I remember him just saying to me, he's like, what's wrong with you? And my mom was like, yeah, leave him alone because I like wouldn't stop following him. And then I think about that. I was like, I was so scared for my dad, but he was probably in there for like all of six minutes. But I remember that when like I think about like how unemotional our family was, like they couldn't see that I was like scared for him. You know, like they were like, what's wrong with you? Leave him alone. He's fine. Yes. And you know what? It's those little micro moments in life that that change your whole character and also like store in the body, like for, for them not to even say like, Oh, you feeling scared? Like even to make being scared okay. And I think especially for men and I I'm like my my practice is saturated with men right now. Saturated. I just because I feel like men more than anything never first of all they never got affection from other men growing up very much. It's like weird to get real affection mm-hmm. from other men. Even on an I love you is challenging. And men have so much pressure on them to try to be strong, have it all together. They can't show their emotions, but they're just as big crybabies as we are sometimes. And, you know, it's it sucks because they they have a need to receive just as strongly, but they it's like you're not supposed to be needy. So it makes it like I just find on my table when I work with men, like they just melt when I, when we work together, because it's like, it's, they finally get to fall apart a little in a safe space without judgment. And I just love it. And um, the thing is, everybody has access to feel this energy. Everyone has a psychic skill once they go into it. And like mine came because I think when I had a child, I started doing Reiki and energy work. And then that's actually how I started to remember a lot of my trauma. Like I, when, when I did Reiki, um, I remember the very first time I did Reiki, um, I had this man come into my house. It was like a salesperson and I got super triggered by him. He had very like aggressive, um, a bit creepy, like energy. And I instantly was like, you have to leave right now. And I was so triggered um, afterwards, I had to lie down with myself for maybe four hours. And I did this session where I just dropped in, dropped into my feelings. I just, whatever would come up, I keep dropping in. And all of a sudden, all of the images of my trauma came up from when I was like three years old because I had, I was sexually abused and everything that I, because I told, I told you guys, like, I didn't have any understanding of why I was addicted. And it was all from this episode when I was three that I had repressed. And so it's very interesting, like when you finally start to like go into this stuff, what surfaces and the more I think the minute I had my son, when I chose to like love myself like no other and treat myself with kindness, it was like, boom, I started to feel for some reason, I just started feeling other people's energies in my body. And now it's it it took a long time to be able to deal with because that's it's fucking exhausting. You know, yeah. I feel my energy, but then I feel yours. I feel his, I feel my clients, I feel my son's, and I'm constantly learning how to move it in and out, in and out. 
Um, so it took a while to master and, but it's a great tool as well, but everyone can do it. Everyone can do it. Mark's face is very skeptical because he always asks oh, people, he great. always asks people who work with energy, can mm. anyone do this? And I, I don't think that he, he believes that anyone can do this. Mm, well, okay. Let's, let's preface not that again. Can, not everyone can be a Jedi. No, no, I, I do agree with that. I think you have to be willing to do the work and also capable. Like, I think, actually, it's it's super painful to do the work. It's super painful. I know my parents, I thought they could do it. My mom, every time she goes into her stuff, she has a panic attack. I don't, I I actually just love her for who she is and where she's at. She has different skills, different strengths. Um, and it's, it's it's beautiful. So I, I do agree. I, I think everyone has a different path in life. But for those that want to develop that, I think it's possible if you're willing. If you're willing to be a Jedi. Are you willing, Mark? No, oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I knew yeah, that it's answer. terrifying. It can be terrifying. Ego annihilation is not fun. <laughs> not fun. Who are your clients, Susan? Like, I'm sort of starting to get a clear picture of you know, what it's like working with you. So yes, there's the holistic nutrition piece and, you know, trying to help people with health and wellness, but this is combined with this intuitive uh, healing and coaching and, you know, trying to get people to address the the deeper things in their body. So who comes to see you? What are the concerns that you work with? Um, what does What does working with you look like? Yeah, so I get, I probably get a mixture. I get people that are struggling with uh, just straight nutrition issues. Like sometimes it's eczemas, sometimes it's headaches, sometimes uh, digestive issues is a big one, hormonal issues, lots of women with burnout or women with um, mood swings, men. I get lots of men um, with everything from erectile dysfunction to low energy to, um, you know, sleep issues. So it's very broad. I'd say, you know, very, I autoimmune issues, cancer. I have tons of cancer clients. So with, with the nutrition, it's very broad and with emotional stuff, I would say it's like anxiety, depression. I think there's a, a lot of, I'm, I have so many male clients right now with sexual abuse mm. and the sex addiction. Um, and also I get, I would say I get a lot of females with like trying to, both men and women trying to find their soulmates. Interesting. You no know, relationship. Pro I have, because I'm in the conscious relationship right now, all I'm attracting is relationships. People with issues in relationships, wanting to have conscious relationships. What does that mean? Well, both Mark and I made the same face when you said conscious relationships. Um, a relationship that where both people are aware and they understand like, okay, say for example, you guys have an, a fight that you get in all the time. And a lot in a lot of relationships, the same fight sometimes comes up again and again and again, it could be the same fight for like five years mm -hmm. or that fight or eventually so many arguments build up and then there's just resentment and then it ends because the people don't have the tools on how to have conscious communication. And by that, I mean, it's like people actually sharing, say, for example, um, 
like I had an issue with my partner recently where it was Halloween and, you know, I wanted to wear this super sexy thing and he got kind of triggered, you know? And for me, I felt like he was controlling me. And for him, he felt like I was being, um, I wasn't being considerate of his feelings and like, like there was a party where there was past people that I had slept with there. And so he was concerned. And so it took both of us because we were both so strong on our point of view, having to go away from each other, connect it, go into those fears, connect it back to the childhood, actually release those feelings and come back to each other and say, this is why I'm feeling um, con- like when you say this to me, it makes me feel controlled. It makes me feel controlled because when I was a kid, my dad was very controlling and I was never allowed to do this, this, and this. And he said, when I was a kid, you know, like I didn't trust my parents, you know, I had to distrust because they always betrayed me. They always, you know, this kind of thing. And so we got to each speak it out and just let each other just totally release all of it and note with just listening to the other side and then eventually found our thing where I kind of bended a little his way and he kind of moved a little my way. And so that's, yeah, where like conflict doesn't scare you anymore. It's like, it's actually exciting. Conflict is exciting. You hear that partners? Conflict is exciting. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Stuzy said so. So you have such a wide range of people you work with. And I know one thing that both of us wanted to get into because it was you know, part of the reason we had you at the massage conference is this live blood analysis. For anybody who doesn't even know what that is, can you tell us what this is and how this fits into your work when it became a thing for you? Yeah. So live blood, I, I think I added it almost right in the beginning after I started nutrition and um, the same thing. I was taking tons of supplements and nothing was working and I was still feeling depressed. And I, I did this live blood in with one of my teachers and it showed everything. It's, I remember coming out and they were like, you're low B12, low magnesium, heavy metal toxicity, everything. And in, I, within three months, I started treating that and I felt like a different person. And so I, I think five days later, I took the course. I loved it. Oh my goodness. And I feel like a mad scientist when I do it. Um, but yeah, it's like you take a finger prick of blood and you put it under a microscope and you can see everything from vitamin mineral deficiencies to uh, coagulation in the blood, inflammation. You can see plaque platelets. You can see things like candida, viral, parasites, heavy metals. I can see how many glasses of wine you drank the night before. You know, I'm not um, doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure when Susan and I I met, I had already had like three or four glasses of wine. (laughs) It was probably a wonderfully coherent conversation that we had upon meeting. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. It was great. I I totally connected to you probably. (laughs) Like, I like this chick. I like this chick. I see something in her. Yeah, a lot of wine. Um, Yeah, and I apologize if I offered you drinks at the conference. You know, I actually did approach somebody and I said like, because I had met her uh, maybe once before and it was at one of the networking nights and I said, oh, come join me in a glass of wine. And she's like, I'm, you know, X amount of years sober. And I was like, oh, 
oh, sorry, then yes, no, don't have a glass of wine. And like, I just realized I do. But I mean, I guess it's different if I was like, no, have one with me. But I realized that I do that because I drink. It's like I I just assume everybody else does. So if I approached you and said, like, come have a drink with me, like, I need to work on that. Instead of telling somebody, come have a drink, (laughs) would you like to have a glass of wine? No, thank you. Okay, carry on. But I I recognized that I did that to her. I was like, come have a drink with me. And she's like, "Uh, I'm 10 years sober. I'm like, oh, don't come with me. I will see you in a minute. (laughs) Well, I guess it's good practice for people that don't drink if you ask them. But yeah, for me, I, I drink and I can drink now because I've kind of healed the root of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it, it's that is normal for most people, but it's like, yeah, it probably took me 10 years to heal, heal it to the point that I could actually have some moderation. Live blood. How do you see, okay, the reason I'm asking this is, you know, like when you go to your doctor, right, you know, something's going on. So for example, earlier this year, my youngest daughter, something was going on with her, I wasn't quite sure. So we did some blood workups, ended up finding out that it was iron, right? So she's... she carries a beta thalassemia trait, so she's anemic. And so mm-hmm. we figured that out. So when you go there and you see they take like vial after vial after vial to do all these tests and, you know, they're testing for specific yeah. things, how how does then getting a finger prick of blood and putting it under a microscope, how can you see so many things from that? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's very different because they're just going to measure, you know, they're going to measure iron in the bloodstream, but why that is it's there's so much more to it is take okay iron's a perfect example so when say a client comes to see me first thing i do is i look at their tongue so i always say your tongue tells all um and usually just by the tongue i can tell okay is there an iron deficiency is there b12 is there digestive issues is there you know heat in the body like you know, night sweats, or you're getting night sweats, is there adrenal issues, all the organ systems you can just see from the tongue. So that that tells me one thing. And it doesn't just tell me what is going on, but it tells me how to treat yourself. So for example, say you had a tongue that is red and cracked. Okay, people that have a red and cracked tongue, they have dry, they're hot and dry, they're not going to be good with things that are going to dry them out. So things like spicy food, right? right? Spicy food is going to be awful for them. Same thing if you have a white, pale tongue. That means like you've been eating too many. Um, you, you like your ice cream. You like your you're eating too many carbs, too many sweet things. So you might actually do well with spicy food. And so say say you take someone with iron deficiency. So many doctors go in. They're like, okay, your iron levels are this, and and then they'll say they put you on an iron. But people could have low iron for so many different reasons. One of them is you're just not able to absorb iron in the digestive system. One of the biggest issues is you're eating raw food. Raw food will completely obliterate your ability to absorb iron because your stomach wants cooked. It wants warm to function and to increase metabolism. And so that's a huge one. And The other thing is people also like there's so many doctors that put you on iron, but your iron doesn't go up. And it's because, say, for example, what do you guys eat for breakfast? What do we? Oh, we are bad people to ask because the answer is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) We're not 
about breakfast people well, for me breakfast is like uh, 4 30 in the afternoon yeah the first meal we are not breakfast people. but if i <laughs> do if i if i do have breakfast it depends but so for example for myself and my mm. kids uh we're egg people so like i might make like you know some scrambled eggs for them or i'll make the other morning i made um a mushroom omelet for myself and mark after the kids went to school like I would say eggs yeah. is common if we do eat breakfast. My kids are obsessed with fruit. So there's usually some kind of fruit. This morning, everybody had uh, toasted bagels with melted cheese and fruit. Yum. Yum. Yeah, That's so not bad. It's a little all over the place. It depends. I want to come over. I want to come over. For <laughs> and, uh, and on Sundays, I might make waffles if I feel like busting out the waffle maker, right? <laughs> Those are the good days. Yeah. Those are the great days. Yeah, this, this is the thing with nutrition, though, too. It's like you can't be perfect. You, It's like it's it's annoying. You have to live life. You can't. It has to be 80-20, you know, or, or more. Some days it has to be 100% you know, do what you want. Yeah. And, but I, but say for example, you have a breakfast that's like, say that bagels and fruit. So the minute you have a breakfast like that, that's all acidic, it's just going to clump all your blood cells. Yeah. So your blood will turn into like a, what they call it almost like the non-medical term, like a blood sludge, like an agglutination in the blood. And then you can't absorb iron. You could have enough iron in the blood, but you can't absorb it into the cell because your blood is too congested. Same thing if you don't drink enough water. So that's why people think so many people, it, their blood shows that they have, they either don't have enough iron in the blood cell or they, um, but a lot of time it's not because they're low in iron. It's because their blood is congested and they're not hydrating enough or they're just eating an acidic diet, not enough vegetables. Not enough vegetables. Yeah. That's really it. So that's why I put people on greens. Like I'll, if I want to raise iron, sometimes I put them on a wheatgrass. Or I, or vegetables for breakfast. It's the fastest way to raise iron. Beautiful. So many. So yeah. interesting. You do yeah. so many things, and so the last thing I want to say is your your talk at the conference. Can you remind me of the full title? Because <laughs> I got to tell you the story. What was the full title of your talk at the conference? It was something to do with the grumpy gallbladder. Yeah, I'm obsessed with gallbladders. It's it's so funny because even in your head right now, that's what's going on with you. It's the gallbladder. You have you have problems breaking down, I think, fat or... I do, yeah. Yeah. I do have a grumpy yeah. gallbladder. So you are correct. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm getting, yeah. And it's chemical in your body too. Like that's what I'm... Medic I'm just picking it up medically, like a medical intuition. But um, yeah, the universal, it's called the bizarre but true story of grumpy gallbladders and universal deep healing. So I got to tell you the story before you you tell us what that talk was about. Mark's already okay. laughing because so basically we had another presenter there. He did a talk on pain science and he did a couple of other other uh, classes for us. His name is Troy. He's from Quebec. And yeah. so he I've worked with him a couple of other times before. So I know he's got like kind of a quirky sense of humor. So that's just like one of the things I know about him. So he sends me an email one day leading up to the conference. And he says, um, so because he was on our expert panel for the Friday. And he said, yeah. uh, so for the panel discussion, do I do we have like specific topics? Do I need to have anything prepared? Is it going to be a Q&A? Or should I just make sure I'm well versed in this universal deep healing and, you know, the grumpy gall, the truth behind the whatever the whole title, right? 
And so I read this email and I kind of chuckle thinking like, this guy's got such a strange sense of humor. I don't even know what this means. So basically, when you had gone into the portal to upload the name of your talk, somehow something happened and your topic (laughs) got attached to every single presenter. So they're seeing, yes. So he opens up his portal and he sees this. And he's like, oh, I guess I better like learn about this because I'm going to have to speak about it on this panel. So I think it's a joke. So I don't even really respond to him. I was just like, oh, yeah, it's Q&A. And anyway, and then a couple hours later, Monica sends me a message saying like, hey, did you do this? Did you attach Susan's topic to everybody? And I was like, what are you talking? And so she she says the name of the topic. And I was like, oh, this is why Troy thought he had to learn about this. Oh, my God. Everyone has to know about gallbladder. So tell us then what what was the messaging in this talk for anyone who didn't uh, hear it? And I mean, it is up on Massage Therapy Media. So if you have a membership, it's... Um, uh, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank. Mark, what? <laughs> there's a there's on the a MTM talks. MTM channel. talks. Yes, that's what it's called. It's called MTM talks channel. And Susan's talk is up there. But for everybody who wasn't there, like, how would you summarize what was this talk about that you gave? Yeah. So I was very inspired to teach this because, uh, yeah, every single client basically this year. So that's been over. F- I don't know how many clients now. Five hundred clients now. Um, every client that's come to me has had this energy in the body, first of all, uh, always like has been coming in with either migraines or head pressure or neck pain, like stiff neck, stiff shoulders, um, energy in this area. And a lot of also in the gallbladder area, like the abdominal area and the spleen kind of this energy. And it was funny because I was like, this is like, I, there was time when I even did like 30 people's blood in like two days and every single person had this energy in their body. And as a practitioner, they always say you attract what you are, you attract what you've gone through or are going through. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, the same thing with myself, I was having so many, so much of this head pressure and, uh, And it all had, first of all, it all had to do that. This is the meridian of the gallbladder and the liver runs through the head. And the emotion of that is a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. Um, I think, and a lot of being just done with things like comes even the throat chakra. That's all like needing to speak your truth, needing to stand up for yourself, being like, I'm done with this. I think, I think it's coming out of a time from COVID where people are just like, I'm so done with everything like mm-hmm. on both sides. You know, I'm done with people being disrespectful and not getting the vaccination. And I'm done with people forcing me to get the vaccination. And I'm done with people. I'm done with, you know, even the parents with school, like having to have their kids out of school all the time, you know, for long amounts of time, whenever they get like a sniffle. And I think, and also being rejected by their families, you know, I don't know, like my family, it's like half of them are, all of them are vaxxed and I'm not vaxxed. And there was a lot of issues with that. Um, so I think, yeah, most, so many people coming into my practice were like just pissed off, fed up and like needing to finally stand up for themselves. It's almost like the generation, like the suck it up generation, that of being controlled. It's like people were finally being like, I'm not, I'm not going to be controlled anymore. 
Like I'm done with this. Like I want to speak up. I want to speak my feelings. And it was so funny. And that's what I was seeing. And as everybody, like I, I just discovered that emotional energy can release a lot of toxicity in the body. So like people's gallbladders were releasing all these toxins. Every time I looked at people's blood saturated with undigested fats, saturated with heavy metal toxicity, like chemicals, mercury, cadmium, pesticides. I mean, I, it was even coming out of myself for the last year, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe you had that much toxicity in your body. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, I think I've seen people like pull half to metal detox for like seven years. It's a long time. And yeah, I think, I think the world is saturated these days. So we all need to learn about the grumpy gallbladder. (laughs) Yeah. The gallbladder is like, I don't want to do it. I'm over this. I'm done. (laughs) Is your gallbladder saying that right now? I just want to know how you chose your gallbladder voice. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. That's the goal. I don't want to do it. (laughs) I love that. Um, Mark, do you have any questions for Susan? You've Way been, you've been so quiet today. I'm, just, I, I'm stoned and I'm listening. I'm just soaking it all in. <laughs> soaking it all in. He's, he's learning. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to educate us on some of this stuff today. Um, you know, majority of our listeners are massage therapists and body workers. And one thing that we always promote on our podcast, we don't only interview other massage therapists and body workers is we want everything's relevant to us, you know, like we work with people Mm -hmm. and we see so many things. And when you work in this type of profession where everybody is so vulnerable, they trust you with everything, right? Like I have people that ask me questions about supplements, nutrition, and, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but, you know, it's really great to be able to talk to people like you and know that there are people that can help you. And if these are things that you're experiencing, well, I know that I can refer you to somebody who maybe does live blood analysis or a holistic nutritionist or an intuitive coach or somebody who does all the things if you live in Hamilton. (laughs) So it was it was really interesting. And I think uh, I think Mark's got a lot of thinking to do. (laughs) You know what? It's it's funny, actually. I think it's and Mark, I so relate to you because it's, I think it's, it's very challenging. Even my son's father is very, he was raised with certain parenting and going into feelings is not comfortable. My dad was always a person. It, he would have a huge resistance, my father. Um, and uh, it's kind of taken years to, it's funny, actually, just this year at the dining room table on Thanksgiving. Like it used to be where I'd bring something up and he'd like roll his eyes and I'd be like, dad, like when you roll, roll your eyes, it makes me feel like you don't care about me. (laughs) And he just like would start melting his heart, like little by little. And this year he's like, now he's like, whenever he calls me, he's like, how are you feeling? Like, what's going on for you? (laughs) And yeah, it's, it's, it's a dramatic change. And I mean, Everybody, even even masculine energy has a, a beautiful, amazing space. So it's like everybody teaches own. Everybody's in their own journey. So I'm glad you're just here to listen, listen to all this woo-woo talk. No, it's not that. It's just right from the beginning. Because I have a very complicated relationship with food and eating and everything else. It, I don't view it as a bad thing at all. But no, it's, yeah. it, nothing for me surrounding the consumption of calories goes without 
a lot of stuff that comes with it, whether it's thoughts or feelings or whatever. It's just never easy for me to grab something, put it in my mouth, chew it without there being some sort of chatter. And again, yeah. the chatter isn't always bad. The chatter is most of the time not bad at all. It's just way too much deep thinking about stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of cut stone and zoned into all that when you guys were talking. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is it too. It's like sometimes there's so much judgment or whatever around food it's like that needs to be unpacked first all the time you know it's nice to just I used to have like what's called almost orthorexia which was um almost like an eating disorder but like obsessed with the quality of your food it's the third I think it's like the third or fourth eating disorder yeah I only recently even learned that term by the way I actually didn't know it until you know, when people say like, I was today years old, like I think orthorexia came into my, into my knowledge base, like maybe within the I'm last the year. the opposite of all of that. <laughs> right. The opposite. Are I'm, you the, oh, I'm that's so good. Opposite. I for for Mark, eating is a hundred percent about calories. calories. It's just, I know yeah. I have to consume calories to survive. And when yeah. he's talking about the chatter going on, like he said, it's never anything super negative. So for example, if I make us something to share, um, that's like one of my favorite things actually actually like for us and our family I do like a lot of family style type of so for example yesterday after school I just cut up a whole bunch of veggies and put some dip out and I just lay it out and we all just kind of share things right like it's not everybody taking a plate I do that a lot and I guess I should maybe be maybe reconsider that because I know somebody like Mark he is being aware of what everybody else is consuming he wants to make sure he doesn't eat like all of the cucumbers because maybe somebody else wants like there's always <laughs> chatter like I can't just eat the number of cucumbers I want because then maybe I'm taking away from somebody else and I have to remind him like oh. we've got a whole ass other cucumber in in the kitchen like if you eat all these don't worry I can cut more but then the deeper part of that is because I don't really care if it's a cucumber or not that I eat I just want to eat something so why would I take something that someone else really enjoys because I just gonna have anything regardless of what it is yeah, so yeah then, you're free just like <laughs> so it's yeah never, it's never easy right yeah when we first it's moved in together easy. um like I, I remember this used to be like uh, I guess I don't know if offensive is the right word to me but it, he was like what are you talking about I'm so simple because the fact that he just eats for calories like if yeah. I would cook something that I felt was like spectacular versus like if I made us grilled cheese sandwiches and like apple slices to him it was the same. same that is so funny that's so interesting yeah, and like, you're thinking oh my god this is so much better he's like i don't care yeah, okay. he does not care well that it is a kind of freedom to have that you know like i mean it yeah my brother's kind of like the same way he just like he just eats whatever he's he was always the not picky one like if you'd be like do you want someone would be cooking breakfast he'd be like my sister would be like oh you want eggs he's like sure he's like do you want this? He's like, sure. He doesn't care. Whereas me, I'd be like, is there vegetables in it? Are you going to put this with this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely easy to make dinner for, you know, as long as I don't include avocado, cilantro, or like salsa, <laughs> I think we're good. You're not a Mexican. You're not the Mexican. Oh, goodness. I love Mexican food so much. When we went to Mexico, I had tacos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And Mark was like, I'll just have like eggs and bread. <laughs> like, <he's, laughs> He doesn't like, he's like, don't put salsa on my eggs. No guacamole, please. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun. I'm lots of fun. <laughs> right yeah. Awesome. Well, you know what? And I think you can, like, I think sometimes men, I think men are like this more than women that eat what, what they want. And I think it doesn't really change until 
unless something kind of health wise comes and is like starts to bother them. And then, then they maybe have to start to think about it, but like, and that's still a maybe still a maybe. Yeah. yeah. You're like, yeah. Cause you're so committed to just yeah. having, just eating what you want. Well, and also I think that a lot of people just accept discomfort, right? Like, oh, this, you know, I could probably get rid of this if I changed my diet. And like, eh, is it so bad now? Nah, just, I'll just carry on. <gasps> yeah, this isn't worth, this isn't worth giving this up. Well, it's true. Like I said, I've been told I should probably stop with the coffee, but you and I both know I had a coffee this morning. I have cut down to one a day. I mean, I feel like that's a step. You know why you, you want coffee? It's because you're gallbladder. <laughs> oh, stop it, Stoozy. <laughs> it's true. You want the bitter. You got to get some bitter, girl. You got to get some bitter herbs. Oh, fine. You're so cute. <laughs> you're going to sit down, you and I. One one fun. day, one day, Susan's going to get me Our to stop drinking coffee. Night. <laughs> mm. Anyway, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It was, it's, I just love what you're doing. I'm, I'm going to be sharing your, your new project to the masses. So uh, I'm so proud of it. I, I just love that you're bringing many different people um, together and information, wisdom, and it's just good for you guys. You guys get a gold star. <laughs> right on. It's been a lot of fun. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.